0: When I was living in Northampton, I found that at the Boys' Brigade, that the boys that misbehaved were the ones that I learned the names of the quickest. They were the ones that I had to say, Oi! I think Noah was giving me an example of that (laughs) this morning. Knowing that I was moving, to a place where I didn't really know any names at all, I knew it was going to be tricky, because I'd had to learn the names of those boys I could remember back to 10 years ago when I had to try and remember the names of the people in the church. And I'm glad that, I must say, after not too many weeks here, I'm starting, starting to get the idea of who some of you are. And I'm glad to say it's not just because you've been misbehaving. <laughs> Occasionally, I have to go across and look at the board with all the photos on, look at the names, try and match them up, put a name to your face. But, you know, is that really getting to know somebody? Is just seeing the face and knowing the name enough? No, it's not, is it? We have to get to know everybody on a deeper level. When you know someone, you know about their joys and their sorrows. You know about the great times that they've been through, like yesterday's wedding of Danny and Ruth. You know how they might answer a question. You know about the worries that they might have. As I pondered this, a greater question arose to me. The question of the fact that god knows us to that level but how well do we know god how do we respond to him do we know what is on his heart do we know what makes him rejoice what is his sorrows And if somebody asked you to introduce God to you, uh, God to them, how would you do it? What would you say? You can't say, well, he's this big, can you? He's not this tall. He's not got this colour hair, as I've seen myself in the kitchen with Emily and saying, the person that I'm talking about is like this. That's not it. We have to turn to the scriptures and say who this God is that we praise his name in song. Who this God is that hears our prayers. Who this God is that so much is written about. So my plan for the coming weeks is to think about who God is, but also who we are called to be reflecting that image. We are a fallen people, a chosen people, a rescued people, yet still a wayward people. And so this morning, we start on that journey by thinking of how the story of who God is is explored to two different groups of people, two groups in quite different contexts, hundreds of years apart. But actually, when you get down to it, God is described in a similar way. In Deuteronomy 10, God is spoken of to people who should already know him. These are people that through Moses have been led out into the wilderness. These are people who should already be trusting in God. These are people have seen mighty miracles the Red Sea parting, their freedom from slavery. These are people that have that hope of a promised land, a promise that was given many, many years before. But yet, for some reason, Moses has to remind them about who God is. People that should have been in fellowship need reminding. In Athens, Paul has a different congregation before him. Initially, he's there among the general population. Some Jews... Some Greeks who believe, but there are also Greeks that don't believe. There's members of the council, and the main thrust of the passage is with the council. Greeks that are philosophers, questioners, people that want to perhaps discover the truth, but haven't yet found it. And Paul speaks of the God that has not been known to them. The unknown God. But yet the God who has never been far from them and even made them. And the key aspect that comes through both of these passages in the Old and the New Testament gives us the title, for today, God is God. Now that might be a rather obvious statement to make. A lectern is a lectern. Pulpit is a pulpit. The screen is the screen. We could go around the whole church, the whole world saying, this is this. But in the same way as we know this is not a chair, however, I could perhaps sit on it. I'm not going to today. People make their own gods. People often decide what their god is rather than thinking that god is God. There is but one true God who deserves the praise, who deserves the glory, who we can pray to and he will answer. He might say yes when we pray. He might say yes, not yet. He might say actually I've got something else in mind for you but God hears the prayer and will respond. We might have put our trust and our hope and our efforts not into that God, but into different things. Fortunately, I don't know too many of you too well yet for what I'm about to say. But we might have a God who's a classic car in a garage that we religiously wash and polish every week. We might have a God that is our home that we live in, that everything must be just so. The vase must be in exactly the right place. We might have a God that is our garden. And I love seeing a lawn which has the stripes mowed in it. But if that's where our effort is, Has that become our religion? We might allow these things to become an obsession or an addiction. And it's easy for the video game or Twitter feed to take our attention at the dinner table on our phone rather than the focus of attention, having given thanks to God for the meal, to be those that are our loved ones that are sat next to us. What is the God we adore? Is it the one true God? Or is there something else in our life? Such gods are often created subconsciously. And we don't realise what we're doing, but simply accept them. The Greeks, on the other hand, in Athens, had deliberately made their idols out of stone and precious metals, statues that they prayed to concerning the harvest, or maybe another one for the weather, or for the sun or for war and peace, or for their fertility. They thought that something made by human hands would have the power to change the world in which they lived. They would offer to it gifts, almost as a bribe, to say, do what I want, here, have this. A sacrifice, perhaps to appease that God that didn't really exist. Of course, the truth is that the God who made and who can change the world is the one who made humanity. We are made in his image God is not made in our image. And although we come to him in our prayers, it's his will that we must seek, not ours. He is a great big God who cannot be formed into a statue, who cannot be boxed and put in the temple, He is above all others. And what's more? This God, who is greater than the earth and made the earth, already has in his possession everything in it. What offering can we bring to him that he does not actually already have? We can bring money for his purpose, to see his kingdom grow. We can offer ourselves to do his good work. But the true offering he seeks is a faithful heart. A heart that will love others. A heart that is like his own. For our heart to be like this, we have to come close to him. And in the passage from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10, 16, it says the word circumcise. Circumcise your hearts. Well, it's obvious here that that word is being used as a metaphor. But the concept is a physical Change coming. The heart will go through a transformation that there is not a way back from. How your heart will be is a permanent reminder of being God's people. People. That are within his covenant. Another way of looking at this. From the New Testament. Would be to take Jesus words. To his disciples. Where on the, day, uh, on the night that he was betrayed. He said. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Love is the thing that reflects who we are and shows that we are God's people. The love of a circumcised heart is different from the love of the uncircumcised heart. It is fully devoted to God's purpose. But why would you devote your heart to him? To this God. Well it's because. God is greater than the universe. And despite being greater than the universe. He is devoted. To you. He loves. Each one of you. And his love is not fickle. In that. The love will not fade away at all he won't get up one morning and say, actually, I don't love you anymore. He continues to love you. And even when you have done something completely unloving, he loves you. And he cares about you. And it's because of that love, he gave his son to us, who, because of his love, went to the cross to die in our place for the sins we have committed. The false gods of the Greek, the idols made of gold or silver or stone, were inanimate and unloving. They were incapable of love. But the true God, is love and his heart is for justice and for mercy. He has compassion for those in distress, and through Moses challenged the Israelites to think of when their ancestors, the sons of Jacob, had left famine struck Canaan. And first arrived in Egypt, on their knees, begging before their brother, Joseph, asking for food. The family was welcomed in that foreign land. How should they treat others in similar circumstances? And the answer is, with love. God loves the foreigner residing among you. And you are to love them too. That's the message that came to God's people in the wilderness. Long before they actually had foreigners residing among them. Whatever the cause of the journey that leads someone to leave their homeland, however near or far that may be, God loves that person. God loves that family, that immigrant population. And he calls on us, in fact, demands of us that we love them too. If that person is in need, they are to have the need need met. And to do anything else other than to show love towards that person is to have an uncircumcised heart, a heart that is not for God. Paul tells us, without naming Christ, of how there is a man raised from the dead. And that this man is the one who will judge the world with justice. If we know God, And have put our faith in him. If our heart. Has become a heart of compassion. And we repent of our sin. Then in that day of judgment. There will be nothing to fear. Indeed. It will be a day of celebration. However. If on the day we are judged. It's revealed that despite knowing what God expects, despite knowing that the true God is God, and having deliberately failed to be loving, failed to reflect him, not been repentant, then we must suffer the consequences of our actions. Our God, is above all things, yet he is close to us. He loves all people and expects us to have a loving heart. He is the one God, and by him we will be judged. Amen.